And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, but I don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, National NBA Writer at The Athletic, here as always with the one and only Anthony Slater on the West Coast. Slater, we thought we were going to have the usual suspect, Fred Katz, out east as our Eastern Conference East Coast representative. Fred, get well, buddy. Not feeling the best today. So, of course, before we bring our guy on, here, here's the behind the curtain part of the pod programming lifestyle, you know, lifestyle. We put out like this four or five pronged attack. Let's get a third voice. It's very short notice. You know, we got to find somebody who knows the game inside and out, somebody who can be an expert on one team, but then talk about the whole league, you know, like Fred does a very good job of doing. Uh, Jay King wins the day coming up big in like, I think like seven minutes notice from Boston, Massachusetts kid. Jay, what's up, brother? It was more like an hour or seven minutes notice, but I was just asleep for the first hour. <laughs> and seven minutes. The uh, yeah, I, I slept in a little bit. I, you said I was not your like seventh or eighth choice, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure you went through the list. Sam, we landed on somebody who was at Kevin Garnett Day in Boston. This should have been I the know. first choice. It should have been the first pick. We listen. We hit the lottery in terms of. No offense to our other colleagues, like getting the the right guy for this week, for sure. And I don't feel too bad, Jay, because it really was like a, you know, it was like a simultaneous let's hit up these six, seven folks. But it was very entertaining to get a quick glimpse into everybody's lifestyles when it comes to the, a Monday morning, right? So Andrew Schlecht and I, our super producer, off air, we're kind of joking about how uh, among this group, we're the only ones with kids. And so we hit up a bunch of folks like yourself who don't have children and got reminded from a few of them, I'm not going to put their business in the streets, but that they they get to sleep in a little bit like some of us don't, you know, so I got a little jealous for a minute, you know, so <laughs> I'm going to get over that because you are you are saving the day for sure. I feel like Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting, the, that scene when he's like, who'd you talk to before me? And, <laughs> and the Professor Lambeau starts listing all the other therapists they they tried to bring Will Hunting to before him. I like him coming in with the Boston perspective, and he's Absolutely. already dropped a Good Will Hunting reference. Absolutely. That's my favorite movie ever, man. Uh, shocking. It isn't, really it isn't like The Town or something? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop a time reference later. How about them apples, Jay King says. <laughs> All right, man, good stuff. How was, uh, really, how, really, can, we, can we ask him how, tell us about Kevin Garnett Day. Yeah, that's where we hit the lottery, man. You've you, you got plenty to talk about. KG Day, what was that like? It was, it was fun. I mean, you guys know, like, some days you just show up to the arena and you know it's, it's going to be a really memorable day. And, and that was one of them. Um, he's just a very unique guy. And so we put together, uh, an oral history of like his, um, just the impact that he had on the Celtics and just calling people, talking to former teammates, former coaches. It was funny cause they would just rip him. They would 
recall stories about him just ripping them apart when they failed to do what they were supposed to do. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, and he's my favorite teammate ever, or he's my favorite player ever. Right. <laughs> so there's this dichotomy between him being like this maniac who held guys to the highest standard ever and also those same guys just loving him unconditionally. Um, and he kind of had that same intensity even at the Jersey retirement ceremony. Like, <laughs> he, uh, he said I, the way he thanked the Boston crowd was, I, I knew you – Y'all fucked with me, but I didn't know y'all fuck with me like this. <laughs> he did. He, so he said that like on the PA system. Like. Yeah, that that was he was he was sitting at half court, like the whole crowd is listening, and that's that's what he said. Like there are little kids in the crowd. I think I'm pretty sure his kids were there. And, I think his kids may have he heard that anyway. that word a few times. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure they've heard it once or twice. Um, but. And, and as, nobody as quick, else could get away with that. Like, right? It it didn't matter to anyone. It, everyone just kind of figured he would do something like that. My favorite. I was say just, as, a, as a quick aside, I was flipping through the old social medias this morning, and this is kind of on the same vibe. Saw this old video, and this is not a Boston dude. This is a Detroit dude. But Eminem was at a concert one time and looked out in the stands and, and saw a really young child. And like brought the whole thing to a halt and pointed at the dad. It was just like, yo, you brought your kid to a fucking Eminem concert. It's <laughs> midnight. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's that's KG vibe right there. But my favorite, real. My favorite part of the day was when Jalen Brown had that dunk in mid game. And yeah. instead of getting back on defense, he sees KG, he goes over to give him a high five. I mean, it was a really good dunk, but like how many other humans on earth could, you know, coax Jalen Brown into a mid game? Like Dallas is a pushing it up the court and he's like, gotta go give this dude a high five real quick. And I bet Jalen's hand is still stinging a little bit today. Like that, that was a hard high five. KG was not messing around. And then like a minute after that, I don't even know if they showed it on TV, but Jason Tatum had a, a finish in the lane, and I, I think Dallas called a timeout. And Tatum went over and flexed over in the cr- crowd right near Garnett. And Garnett was like doing the same thing, like you could see, like he was hopping up and down, like like he was like he was ready to get back in the game. <laughs> There's just a different level of intensity from that guy than, I, than I just have, about uh, anyone else on the planet. Oh, 100%. percent. I was gonna say I don't have any. You know, I'm I'm no. John Krasinski or Jay King when it comes to KG stories. Um, but I, I, I was in the room, I'm dating myself, but I was in the room when he had his legendary press conference with Minnesota when they were in the playoffs and he was dropping AK-47 references and rocket launchers. And, you know, that was for me the first <laughs> time you saw. And he was, of course, talking about, I think it was the King series, with, you know, how they were going to come at them. And, you know, I remember just looking at this guy going, holy smokes, no filter. No, nothing. Um, take us through a little bit. You know, that, that piece that you guys did was fantastic. And Thank then I you. even caught, it was funny to see on Twitter yesterday, I think it was, that Ryan McDonough, you know, formerly of the Celtics, of course, a lot of Celtics history there, former Suns GM, had shared, you know, another anecdote on yeah, social. Yeah, we should have called him too. <laughs> right, you know, where he, you know, I won't take it through the whole thing, but he had a funny story about KG. So, I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, just what was that whole project like for you? Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Uh, just because I feel like a lot of the time when I'm working on a story, guys are reluctant to talk. Guys, guys don't really want to talk about a certain subject. Um, you're always running into issues like that as as an NBA reporter. But because it's Kevin Garnett, guys like the the stories are just as interesting to those guys. They want to relive it just as much as I want to tell those stories. And and so I feel like everyone I talked to was was just as into it as I was. Right. And and so that part of it is fun when 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 the people you reach out to are like they just want to yeah, yeah, they want to talk about Kevin Garnett. They want to relive the time that they were talking with 45 minutes left before a game and he lit them up or how they were petrified to go in the steam shower because Kevin Garnett that was part of his routine. <laughs> and if you're in the steam shower, when Kevin Garnett comes in the locker room, he's going to let you have it. Right. Uh, so, so that, that part of it was, was very, very fun. And, and there were some stories that 
we weren't allowed to tell that we're even better than the Uh-oh. ones we put Uh-oh. in. So, <laughs> Don't tell sorry teasers for the with teaser. that. Here um, they are. Here they're coming at you on the tampering pod. All but of yeah, them. It's, it's really cool. And uh, like he was clearly just kind of a competitive maniac. But also the other side of him was just being so generous. Uh, th- this part didn't go in the story, but uh, because I got it like the the night after our story had already been filed it was already ready for publish um the the video coordinator during the 0809 season he was technically an intern at the time so he didn't get per diem and and Kevin Garnett they landed wherever they were Chicago wherever it was and KG said to him did they give you per diem and he said no and I I think that was probably part of the rule book like only full-time employees get per diem or whatever KG said come with me to my room Brought him to his room, took out a thousand dollars, slammed it on the bed, said, "There you go, there's your per diem," <laughs> and and so stuff like that is like just kind of eye opening. That's um, cool. And so that's part of the reason everyone wanted to talk about him. He, he was about, super generous what, on top of the crazy stuff. Jay, of the ones that did get published, just real quick, did you have a favorite? I I love the steam shower part. That Brandon Bass was petrified to go in the steam shower. That just cracked me up. Uh, just because Brandon Bass is like, like this huge, strong dude. He was, and yeah. and he didn't want to go in the steam shower. Um, yeah, honestly, all of it. I also love him yelling at at the at Jamie Young's baby. That that part was funny, <laughs> and Jamie being like, "Yeah, I need my kid back, Kevin." <laughs> all all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it was just it was really fun to work on just because everyone has different stories about the guy that stand out. I think Avery Bradley said this to me one time, not when I was talking to him this week um, or last week, but he said this to me once. He said, "When you're with Kevin, it's it's almost like he wants to give you a moment that you'll remember. I was with Kevin Garnett that moment, right? And, right. and so you kind of feel that when you're talking to guys about him. Did you uh, the Ray Allen thing? you know, was, was front and center yesterday and yeah. Ray decides to be there. This is, you know, by the way, coming on the heels of all-star weekend in Cleveland. And we talked about it on the pod a little bit, you know, there was that awkwardness between KG and Paul and Ray, and there was a lot of edginess, not even, you know, beyond that storyline. There was Michael uh, looking at people sideways and, and, you know, things of that nature. Um, but for them to kind of, you know, I think tie a bow. Not maybe I don't know if they did tie a bow on it, but like to have that be seemingly a, a positive part of of the experience. What was your read there? Yeah, that 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 was obviously a long time coming, um, and it's it's not often that a guy leaving in free agency leads to almost ten years of of coldness between him and and guys he was brothers with beforehand. But I, I think. Part of that was Kevin Garnett loves harder than everyone else, and Kevin Garnett probably grudges harder than everyone else. And so, you know, someone in his inner circle leaving, that that hurt him to the core because he never would have done that. And and so, yeah, it, it was it was good to see those guys reunited. I, I think it means as they are getting a little older and a little more removed from it, I think it means more to them to kind of cherish what they had and and not necessarily you know dwell on on how it went wrong and how Ray left from Miami and all that but you know it was it was cool to see that like they had a group hug and uh you know it it, it wasn't like there was awkwardness between them it it was like there was a a real embrace at All-Star weekend and then Ray showing up to the Jersey retirement ceremony kind of shows like, first of all, that, that Kevin's over it because he would have been petrified to go if, if, right. if Kevin, if Kevin was still grudging like he was. Right. Um, and also that, you know, they're, they're ready to finally move on. And, and I, I don't know if, if they'll be tight from now on. Like, I, I, I don't know if, if they'll be calling each other and, and reminiscing and stuff like that, but at least they can, you know, cherish the the few moments when they do see each other, and and when they can get the group back together. That that was another part of yesterday. Is like ten of the fifteen guys from that 08 title team were there. Doc Rivers couldn't go because he's coaching, and 
Rajon Rondo couldn't go because he's still playing, but he left a video message. But there was a lot of support for for Kevin, and and those guys kind of used it as an opportunity to just celebrate the title one more time. Let's go present day, Jay. Um, we you know even before we were scrambling to to fill the old Fred Katz void, we planned on talking about the East quite a bit, and so no better place to start than the the you know the twenty. 21, 22 Celtics. You talk about a surprise team. If you just, if you put that label on this group, you know, if you're talking entire season, you, of course, you're going to look at the Memphis Grizzlies, the Cleveland Cavaliers, teams like that. But the Celtics have had a one of a kind arc here and a narrative where it was a, a very mediocre beginning. Um, you know, natural questions right out the gate of, oh, okay, you know, first year coach, Ime Udoka, does he, has he got a grip on it? You know, you got, young guys but veterans and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown where the expectations are high so you just kind of wondered you know how it was going and then damn I mean you're talking basically you know I'm looking at it here January 8th they just kind of flip a switch and you know since then essentially the best team in the NBA they got a net rating of 12.3 at that uh, since that time that is not only tops in the league but tops by more than four points Um, 23 and 7 record best defense by far obviously active at the trade deadline, adding Derek White. Um, unpack this for us, you know, in terms of just, you know, factors in your mind that have led to this, you know, level of legitimacy now as we look ahead to the postseason and try to make sense of the East, you know, what have you made of, of their whole story? Yeah, it, it was funny because at first, like, they were just kicking the crap out of very bad teams. <laughs> and so, so at the beginning of this streak, it was kind of like, to should should we trust the what the Celtics are doing should right. uh, how should we evaluate what they're doing and you know they it was like they beat the kings by 40 or whatever it was they beat everyone else like they had four 30 point blowouts in the span of a couple weeks and and I, I think that stretch sort of got them going and and when you talk about you know they were 500 like this wasn't just the switch flipping from this season it was they were 500 last season too with with a number of the same guys or at least the the same core pieces with Jason Tatum uh Jalen Brown Marcus Smart so I think there was a lot of pressure on Tatum and Brown and I think the way that they handled it earlier this season the criticism the people trying to break them up everything like that they met together after the after they blew a 25 point lead against the Knicks and, and Jalen said that they kind of asked each other or or talked to each other about, you know, we want to be here together. The the grass isn't always greener. This is that January 6th game. Yeah. And they, they had lost to the Spurs by two in in just a a bad game. And then they lost, they blew a 25 point lead against the Knicks and, and those guys had a chat and then, from that point on, they got healthy, which was a huge factor in this. They've been they've had most of their guys available the whole time. They've gone to an eight man rotation with all guys that can defend, and their defense is just awesome. Like I I was a little skeptical at first when they were beating teams by 30, 40, but but it's held up against some of the top teams lately, and they've got Robert Williams and Al Horford who have are both just really really versatile bigs. And they've got size everywhere on the perimeter. When you have Marcus Smart as your smallest guy in the court and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are your other two perimeter guys, like you're just huge. And and I think that's a factor that kind of gets overlooked sometimes. Is that they are a very physically imposing team. And and their defense just just really, really, really gets teams out of what they want to do. They switch all the time. And and so I don't know whether they'll have enough shooting. When it, when it matters, I think we saw that issue pop up against Dallas uh, when they when they played on Sunday. But but like the defense is real, and and they'll be very difficult to score on for just about anyone. What do you think of uh, Brad Stevens' first season as a GM? I mean, it's he leaned into kind of who they were, right? Trading for Horford, extending Marcus Smart, even extending Josh Richardson. Eventually, flips Josh Richardson, gets Derek White. Um, yeah. But what do you think about just kind of the imprint he's put on the team from a very different position? I think it's 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 funny because he's 
he as a coach he always stressed like let's just hit singles right like let let's let's not go for the home run play let's just hit singles keep it simple and i feel like he's kind of done that you know he he took the job and right away flipped Kemba Walker and a first round pick for Al Horford and that cleared some salary space um, By the so, way, did did so, did that tell the world that Brad Stevens never wanted Al Horford to leave, and that was like a Danny Ainge decision? That's I don't know. I just read it that way. Like, well, then they brought back Daniel Tice too. Yeah, who who was shed the luxury <laughs> Tice? They brought back Ennis Ennis Cantor and his freedom very briefly. Um, who I didn't think was a Brad favorite at all when he was a player. So I, I was surprised that Brad brought him back, but I guess he was the the last big on the, on the roster for the minimum. But yeah, he he's he's gone out and gotten some guys that he's very familiar with. I, I think the 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 more important thing to me is that he set out to find guys who could complement Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And they kind of like backed into Dennis Schroeder who was just kind of available. I don't think anyone thought he would be available for the the price that they got him. I don't think they thought they had a chance at him. And when, when they did, they were kind of like, hey, all right, Dennis Schroeder, like, let's do this. And he didn't really fit. But but the other moves that Brad has made, whether it's for, for Derek White, for, for Horford, um, extending Robert Williams, extending Marcus Smart, they're all guys that fit into the defense first, and and surround Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with a lot of size and a lot of versatility ethos. And so I think that's the the vision he had when he built the roster is let's let's use Marcus Smart at point guard. He won't be the best creator at that position, but he might be the best defender at that position in the entire league. And and they think if they have all guys at least Marcus Smart size, then Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because they're so big and because they're athletic and because they're smart, like those guys will allow you to have a super, super defense. And not a lot of teams can do that because you look around the league at a lot of the the stars, the big scoring stars, they don't defend at the level that those guys do. So I think the Celtics see, see that as a way that they can differentiate their roster from from just about anyone else. Uh, and they've leaned into that, and I think Brad's Brad's done a good job hitting singles. He still has, you know, they they traded away this this year's first round pick, but he he has all his first round picks in the future, um, and to go after who, whatever next piece, and, and maybe they do need more scoring, more shooting, but but for now, like the the defense is great, and Ime Odoka may, maybe. Brad's most important move so far, you know, he looked like he he was maybe in over his head for a little while, but kept kept stressing the same things, and and you know it's it's obvious the players have bought in to to what he's selling, and and that you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two guys who haven't always been the most willing to pass, are are more willing right now to do that than they've been in their entire career. So I think Udoka deserves a lot of credit for that. Jay, to that point, and before we kind of cast a wider net and get into some of the other squads in the East, does this, you know, stretch put to bed the years-long dialogue about Tatum and Brown, or is it still a referendum in this postseason on on kind of where that's headed? Because it, it feels like it was five minutes ago that we were legitimately talking about Jalen being available. It, it, it is funny because, you know, there was all this talk – earlier in the season about can those guys play with each other? Should they break those guys up? Now you look at the stats, the Celtics are outscoring teams by 12 points per hundred possessions when both those guys are on the court. And and I think sometimes when those discussions popped up, it was wiser to kind of zoom out and, and remember like they've been to the conference finals together a couple of times. They they've had a lot of success together they're two guys who really work at it and and really care about it. Like they're they're not knuckleheads or anything like that. Where where they're coming in and they're not coachable. It's like they were two guys just trying to figure it out. And and I think because of the way they've always played and always being score first guys, it was an adjustment to to becoming the number one and the number two 
for the Celtics, and it was an adjustment to do it without an all-star point guard next to them. It was always Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker. There was always somebody to make the game a lot easier for those guys. And and Marcus Smart, you know, he, he's a very good passer. He He's a, a good decision maker. Like, he can also set the table for guys, but it's not the same as – as that all-star type point guard just breaking down the defense and giving you much easier opportunities. So there was just a learning curve there. And and I, I do think, like, especially early this season, um, the the lack of passing sometimes from those guys was, was very frustrating for the guys around them. And when Marcus Smart came out and said, you know, teams are loading up on those guys and they don't want to pass the ball. That was not something that he just said because of that one game. That was something that he said because He's that building. had been building up for right. a while. Right. And and so I think some of some of the reasons why people were saying to break them up were legitimate. And and it was fair to wonder can those guys change enough to help the guys around them. But I, I think we've seen since that that they are open to the the changes that they needed to make and and they've started to make those and I think Tatum especially the way he's seeing the floor the the way he's handling double teams he's just getting off it right like there there's not even a thought anymore it's double team comes he finds somebody else he lets that guy make the next play and it wasn't always like that for him where where he made that pass every time and and he's just trusting the guys around him and I think that's been the the biggest difference for the offense. The defense has reached another level too since they got healthy. But I think Tatum and Brown, but especially Tatum because he's he's a better passer than Brown uh, and he deals with more double teams and all that. Like his the way he's handled all that has really changed things for the, the Celtics and you got to know if if you just hold it for a second too long that changes what the, the next guy is going to be able to do. 0.5 basketball. Yeah, and so he he's not doing that anymore and it it's allowed Marcus Smart to play better basketball, it's allowed Al Horford to play better basketball. It, it's promoted more ball movement and so it's 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 funny that like in a way the way that Tatum and Brown have played over the last 2 months in proving that they could play together also kind of validates all the criticisms about them in the first place. It's like sure. they yeah, weren't yeah. doing enough to help their the other change teammates. Had to happen. And yeah. now they are, and you right. can see the difference there. Well, so, and now you go back to Udoka. I think, you know, he's not going to win coach of the year, but but we talked on the pod last week about how, to me, I mean, if, if somebody's given Ime some votes, uh, I'm not mad at it. I think he's he's been extremely impactful there. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's turn a page and, and and get into some of the squads that they're going to be up against in these playoffs because the Easter, you know, it's extremely interesting right now. You, I'm going to give a quick breakdown. You got Miami at the top. Obviously, we're recording this on Monday, 45 and 24, leading the East, two and a half up on Philly, um, tied with Milwaukee. Then you go Chicago, your Celtics, the Cavs, and and in terms of teams that I'm going to cut it off there. The Raptors are just one game behind, um, but. Teams with great expectations going into the playoffs. We kind of talked off air before jumping on here about how it's, you know, in our minds, I think, Heat, Philly, Bucks, Bulls, Celtics, and then, you know, the Cavs have fallen off. They're not only a surprise story, they've lost seven out of the last ten, um, you know, but they've they've got some talent who knows what they can do. Break that whole group down, guys. And Slater, let me throw it to you. We continue to overlook Miami. I mean, listen, we probably, in the same sense that, 
that we're having Jay on this week to break down the Celtics, which is, you know, fantastic. We should probably be doing the same thing next week on Miami. Like we just don't slow down to appreciate what they're doing. But, you know, Andrew, our producer had made the point that, you know, in terms of somebody getting bounced in the first round, someone's going to be disappointed here because if you are the Heat, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Bulls, or the Celtics, that group, oh, by the way, the Nets, who just, I think, put the fear of God into the whole league in their last two games with what they did in Philly and then the way they beat the uh, the Knicks with, with KD going for 50, you know, I think you got to bring them up into that group. Somebody's going home unhappy. Uh, how do you how do you see that landscape? I'll be in Miami next week, so if you want to do a Miami pod, <laughs> I, like I can it. I can do it from South Beach. <laughs> you can handle the club life in addition to the. You pod, don't want to be podcasting from Miami. That, man. That's got to be like a like late afternoon wake up call. <laughs> <laughs> is 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 the better half coming with you on that trip? Not to no, get that personal. That is a five games and seven nights trip. It's okay. It's rough. So, all right, is that is enough. that a back to back in Miami? Orlando, it's Miami. It's always tough when you get. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's brutal. You should skip Orlando and just zoom in. <laughs> Not to be Facts. discussed on the pod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, how do I look at it? So, I was actually at Bucks Warriors Saturday night, and the Bucks defense yeah. is like not playing well at all uh they gave up 38 to clay and just the, the there was just holes uh, everywhere now brooke lopez is returning tonight actually um and there's obviously hope from them that that could can solve some of those issues but even talking to some milwaukee people post game um they want to be playing better but there is like the 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 nets are this like uh you know time bombs and and you don't with the play in particularly you don't know where that seeding's going to be right i mean even if you finish the season at 8 you win that 7-8 game you're the 7 seed um so i think there is it you know if you are sitting at 2 or 3 you might prefer 3 uh if you know Brooklyn's going to be in the play because right now, you know, Milwaukee was two and that could line up with Brooklyn. They're sitting now, you know, three technically, um, although tied with Philadelphia, that could be the Cavaliers who you mentioned. Like there's not a ton of fear about what Cleveland's going to be as a playoff team. So uh, the maneuvering down the stretch for teams to manipulate the matchups that they want. That's a, and to me, that goes beyond you know, trying to avoid potentially playing Brooklyn, but just, you know, who do you want in the four or five? Where's Cleveland going to be? How do you want to match up? Like that will be kind of fascinating in the final um, days of the season, because I do think Cleveland's the soft spot and Brooklyn is, is who you fear. I agree. I mean, let's go there for a quick minute because I mentioned that whole group that's like one through six basically. And then it's hit the nets are bringing up the back end, and I, I'm starting, again, I don't want to overreact to two games, but I'm starting to feel like it doesn't even matter anymore. The, those two games felt like... It matters. Ke- Kevin... You're going to crown them? You. I'm not crowning them. I'm just saying, like, like wild card... <laughs> was that Dennis, know, was that Dennis the Green of- right there? You going to crown them? <laughs> that that <laughs> was. <laughs> they are who we thought It's they just, were. they have not shown an ability to stay healthy and together. All right. Then I, you know what? I mean, I'm react. I told you I'm reacted to two things. The Philly game, man, like I love regular season games when it takes so much to get these stars to act like a, a regular season game truly matters. And to watch Kevin and Kyrie go into Philly and clearly had been behind the scenes being like, yo, we are going to embarrass James Harden. That's what we're doing today. That's how it felt. I'm not saying I was told that. I'm not this is this is just me talking, you know, it's not Intel, but like, man, it felt like that. And, and you got the Embiid factor where Kevin and Joel have gone at each other in the past in terms of John a little bit. Uh, you got the Ben Simmons weirdness of him, you know, hanging out and getting booed by the fans. And, and those guys who essentially just became his teammates deciding to play the big brother role and to defend him in that hostile environment. And so, if you're Philly, it's like you've got this entire regular season that you should be proud of. You have thrived without Ben Simmons. Joel has been at the top of the MVP conversation. And Brooklyn, it felt like, just came in and just ripped a lot of that, you know, kind of out of their soul. And and that was an impressive game. And then the Knicks thing, you know, um, just Kevin on his own showing that coming off that injury and being back now, that that he is he's just coming for your neck from here until wherever they take it. There's there's gonna be so much on Kevin Durant, especially if Kyrie is still a 
a half game player spectator when sitting in when the Kevin Garnett arrive during the like home it, games. and it's not just offensively either. Like they are going to be playing a number of small guards who are going to be targets in the playoffs. It's going to be Kyrie. It's going to be Seth Curry. It's going to be Patty Mills, Goran Dragic. Like four of their what eight best players are point guard size who are just going to get attacked by whoever it is, whether it's Harden or Tatum or um, Giannis. Like, like guys are just going to be hunting out switches and, and going right at those guys. And and Durant is just going to have so much on his plate. So that that's where I question whether the Nets will have enough. And and also, like, what are they going to get from Simmons? We, we haven't seen him play basketball since – since he was bad enough in a playoff series that his coach and his co-star both kind of verbally went at him after the game in their, in their press conferences. And what's the back going to be like when he comes back? What's, what's his headspace going to be like when he gets back and, and on the nights when Kyrie isn't there is Ben Simmons as your two good enough. And and I don't know if, if that is, and if it is, it's probably because Kevin Durant is just next level. But I, it's it's funny because the East is like there's a bunch of teams that are still just kind of in the experimental stage. Like Philly, I don't really know what what they're gonna be, even though Harden and Embiid are are monsters. Uh, Brooklyn, like we still haven't seen them with Ben Simmons. E- even Milwaukee, like what's Brooke Lopez going to be like if if he's not in there in the playoffs how does that change how they handle it, all those matchups uh so i i just think there are a lot of teams with questions to answer right now throughout the eastern conference and that's part of what makes it fun this year is that th- there's no team that that has it all figured out i don't want to overreact to the to the Brooklyn Philadelphia game cuz i do think a lot of people just saw that and were like cross the sixers off but like blowouts happen in the league I mean, blowouts happened in the playoffs. Man, sure started the James Harden conversation it again, did, though, didn't it? It did, and I'll My flip goodness. it to you, and you can get right into it, because I know you got some some steamers coming on James Harden. Yes, let, let's get some steamers. Uh, but blowouts happened in the playoffs. I have a I different mean, definition you know of steamers got... than y'all. That, that, that did not land well. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I wasn't prepared for that steamer. <laughs> you know what was a bigger blowout? The Nets blowing the Bucks out. What was it, game two of that playoff series last year? Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so it happens. I mean, like, yes, like you can go ahead and, and detail James Harden's history and the fact that he did seem to kind of shrink in that game. And how about Kyrie Irving being like the defensive, you know, ace in that game on on James Harden? Not not a good look. Well, for James. it's funny because I I don't I'm not gonna have the steamers you were waiting on. I don't think because honestly, um, <laughs> Jay's face was great there. Um, he James, you know, far be it from me to be the James Harden apologist. But it does sometimes bother me that if we're and this is like really high profile former players on television who will just have no qualms about the second he struggles in a game like this, just saying, well, he doesn't play well in big games. And it's like, no, if you want to go through and look at all of his big games, there have been plenty of big games where he produced and he put up big numbers. And the narrative is not as cut and dried, I don't think as a lot of people make it out to be. And Slater, you know this as well as anybody because, you know, first of all, you're up against this, you know, dynasty Warriors team year in and year out where because the Rockets had built their whole entire operation the way they had, that it was, you know, just an absolutely massive load on Harden's plate and then he's trying to take down the Giant and wasn't able to do it and had a lot of bad games in big games. So I get it. Um so, but I did for for a day in Philly when they lose to Brooklyn. Yes, it left me looking at James and going, "Oh boy, like what if, you know, what if some of those old, you know, haunts are still kind of rattling around in his head, and what if he's not the guy who can get this thing done in Philly? Because if they shoot an air ball, so to speak, in the playoffs, you know, then of course the ripple effect from there is this was Daryl Morey's big move." If, if on year one, and, and there was some discussion on ESPN postgame about this, if, you know, if, if they can't get the, the championship this year, if they can't get it next year, you know, if Kyrie and Kevin then figure their stuff out and stick around for a long time and Ben Simmons is, is a major net positive in that Nets environment, 
you know, you wonder where's the window for Philly. Um, they're really, really good, but they want to win the entire thing. This is not about getting to the finals or to the conference finals. They want to win the entire thing. So having that much rely, you know, relying on, on James Harden that much at this stage of his career too, where there have been times where he just didn't look like the old guy that we came to know the former MVP. And you didn't know if it was because of age or conditioning or lack of, you know, of, of F's given because he was trying to get out of Brooklyn. Uh, but I think there was some, some red flags there that he showed did, the other night. Did you hear KD post game, like talking about, you know, Embiid going to the line so much took the rhythm out of their offense. We knew they're slow, so we were just going to speed them stuff. up. You hear what he said about their defense? No, what? He, somebody made this point. Um, I'm forgetting who, but they he talked about you don't ever see players really break it down from an X's and O standpoint in the type of candid way that that kind of shows their hand. Yeah, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said in his post game interview, "Well, you know, we had looked at tape." of Philly and and they don't make second and third efforts. So we knew, you know, that we just keep that ball moving that we are going to be fine. And it was like some pretty subtle shade at their entire defensive effort that like I, I think we, that was more a shot at Harden. Sure. Right? Like yeah. like that that was a, I thought it was a not so subtle shot at That's Harden a good point. because, because he's slow. he's always been the guy who doesn't make the second effort or the third effort. Right. That that felt to me like like KD just kind of needling needling Harden. He he's I'm, ruthless, Kevin Durant. By the way, I was going like, to say I'm sensitive to speaking for guys, so I'm not doing that. But do we feel pretty confident here saying that Kevin Kevin's got a little a little he's in his feelings a bit about what James chose to do? I feel pretty confident saying that. Yeah. Um, for oh, yeah. sure. And you know what? Like he Harden joined a superstar that KD seems to be slightly annoyed with as well, like Embiid, right? He's getting in Embiid's yeah. face the last two games. And um some of the shade he was throwing in that post game was directed towards Embiid. And like, you know, I think it's it's bold of him to kind of uh I guess put it out there, like you said, not even just like that's the game plan, but you know, to me that's a way to potentially motivate the Sixers, but it seems to be he's saying, like, I don't believe come a playoff series they can be motivated like this right um, it's I'm here i like it, it. oh yeah i'm here for it oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I and mean, that was the thing is it's just so rare to see especially in this generation these guys like to see them go at each other i mean everything is so friendly i mean we talked at the top of the pod jay about kg and what he represented you know that is 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 an outlier for sure at this point so in that regard that game was fun to watch that was a lot of fun and and I do think the Harden discussion has gotten has veered too far toward what he can't do. Uh, like 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 you brought up, Sam, during those Rocket series, like they they were designed to grind it to a halt and play one on one and and have him do everything, and and that puts so much pressure on him because not only is he making the play every time. But the defense knows it, and they're loaded up to stop him. And and so I think, obviously, they're trying to run things a little differently in Philly where he's going to be catching the ball on the move, not doing as much ISO, trying to use Embiid's gravity to to free him up. And I wonder if, if that'll make things easier for him and, and set him up to have a more efficient postseason run. But they're fascinating because Embiid, like, nobody talks about him. He, he doesn't have the best playoff record either. And I know he's had some great series – um, but if some of the same issues with Harden that have popped up with like the the fourth quarter stuff, he he can get tired late in games or late in series. Embiid has some of that stuff too, and and maybe together, you know, some of that stuff will go away and they'll help alleviate the pressure on both of them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Guys, we're not going to break down the entire East, and I'm going to make an executive decision here since Jay was nice enough to jump on with no notice. Um, Don't want to keep him all day long. Let's end on a Western Conference note. And LeBron James does not, I I don't think, um, enjoy the idea that here in in mid-March, you know, podcasts like this one are, are resorting to giving him flowers for individual accomplishments. That's not what he was trying to do this year. He's trying to win a championship and those prospects. I think it is what he's trying to do now. Oh, here comes Jay. I like it. All right. We'll hold that for a second. Um, The championship prospects looking incredibly dim at the moment. The Lakers are a disaster. Um, But I got to admit that, you know, you, I feel like we got to take a minute to marvel at what the dude is doing individually. So he he's right there in the thick of the scoring title race. Uh, He's only got one in his entire historic career and so got a chance to get a second uh and and we are kind of lined up here for a a fun finish when it comes to the scoring title so Joel Embiid coming in at 29.8 points at the moment LeBron 29.7 Giannis Antetokounmpo 29.7 and and I should know the answer to this guys I mean what do we know what's the threshold for um minimum games played to, to qualify because, you know, KD is, is right there. I think he's missed too much, but he's also at 29 I think it's higher than he's going to get. Right, right. All right, take Kevin out the discussion then. But LeBron doing this, just a little bit of historical context, and I'm stealing this from Micah Adams on Twitter the other day. Give Micah a follow. Um, from Basketball Reference, it's got 23 players in NBA history have played a 19th season, um, only six have averaged double figures. And here LeBron is, again, at 29-7. The other wild part about this breakdown that I'm looking at is LeBron, you know, at 29-7, far and away the most of that entire group of 23 players in their 19th season. Kobe all the way down at 22-3. So you got two guys out of 23 in the 20s then you got to go to Kareem at 14.6, you know, and then it's it's down from there. So it's just incredible what he's doing. What, if anything, does it mean? Are we giving flowers here? Are we rolling our eyes? What are we doing? Eh, I mean, look, he you're correct. He's having a great individual season. Uh, when you detail all the issues the Lakers have, LeBron James on-court play, maybe not his general managerial skills but his on-court play is not among them (laughs) what Um, could you be implying there my goodness uh but you know i'm looking friday april 8th uh thunder in staples center i don't think you know lebron clinching a scoring title is gonna have staples center all lit you know like let's go the 32 win lakers we got a scoring champ um, so I don't know, like it's, to me, it's not going to be some monumental thing, um, that gets talked about. I mean, he, to, the big one's going to be when he passes Kareem, that is going to be pretty incredible. Um, uh, and it is look at 37, what he's doing from a scoring perspective, uh, two point games since the all-star break, the only two games they've won, they're two and seven and the two wins he's gotten 50. Uh, but it's, it's a depressing time around the Lakers. Did you see that Suns game yesterday? 48 points to Phoenix in the first quarter. 140 yeah, that, points. And it's just, 
nobody seems to to be enjoying that that process. So it is going to be a, a kind of a you know those commercials usually they're for you know I, I don't know, I guess depressing pills, but before like the cloud is hovering over the person as they walk around. That's just the Lakers season. So it's tough to celebrate something you know within that. As See, a quick, I, I Jay, like- let me let me add a programming note before we throw it to you. Uh, Andrew has helped us on the chat here and said 58 games is a minimum for the scoring title. So if Kevin played every game the rest of the way, he will fall three games short. So, yes, we, we're taking Kevin out of the discussion. All right, go ahead, brother. Yeah, so I, I feel like it's not necessarily an accomplishment that, that people will be doing jumping jacks over in Staples Center this year. But it, I think LeBron knows if he wins a scoring title now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when they're remembering his career, they'll look at that and say, that dude averaged 30 points per game at age 37 and won a scoring title at, at age 37. And I, I saw a tweet the other day that kind of put it into perspective for me because, you know, you see all the tweets, LeBron doing this at at 37, LeBron doing this in year 19 or year 20, whatever it is. And and I saw a tweet that kind of put it in perspective for me because I, I kind of take it for granted sometimes. And it, it was showing basically all the other, you know, top five, top 10 players, what they were doing at age 37. And it was like Shaq was averaging like, I don't know, eight, nine points a game. And, and Michael Jordan was out of the league, though he came back a, a little later. Like all these guys were doing nothing, and LeBron, even though it's on a team that that's no good, even though it's on a team that's been broken all season long, partly because he wanted Russell Westbrook on his team, he's he's he might lead the damn league in scoring. And, and so when you judge him against anyone else in the history of the league, what he's doing right now, it's special. And I think he knows that, and, and I I think he realizes it's about more than this season now. And I also think. You know, the the way that the Lakers have been, and, and it's kind of just a hopeless, hopeless franchise. What he said last night after getting to the assist milestone he did, kind of like this is this is one of those seasons where you take the joy wherever you can get it. I, I think he, he's kind of using this scoring thing as, as a way to motivate him to to give him the juice for the rest of the season that, that maybe was gone because the Lakers are, are trapped in a season that, that's just kind of at this point, honestly, pretty meaningless. And the front office, I mean, they went through the trade deadline. They they needed to make a move, if, if anything, just to change the energy in the room. And they did nothing. And I, I don't necessarily blame them for doing nothing because there were there was no move to make. Like, if you move Russell Westbrook, you're going to have to attach one of your future picks. And that's probably not something you want to do for a team that's going nowhere anyway. Yeah. I mean, the John Wall thing captures it perfectly. Cause it's like yeah. the, the only move on the table that we know of was a guy that had not played all year long. Like that's the best thing they had going. Yeah. So, so nothing was going to work, but LeBron knew nothing was going to work. And, and so I, I do think he's using this as, as a way to find the energy for the last 15 games or whatever of the season. So I I do think it means something to him now in a way that it never meant anything to him at any other point in his career. He always knew, I'm not a score first guy. Um, I think that's I, a big part of this, Jay, is like, yeah. you, I'm sure you saw, you know, on his show on HBO, the, the shop that he got aggregated like crazy that he said on the latest episode that, you know, that, that he was never talked about as a scorer and that always pissed him off. And, you know, this fits perfectly into that narrative now. It's funny, though, because he was one of the guys who said he wasn't a scorer. He was the guy. He's a master. (laughs) He's he's his own puppeteer, if you could somehow be that. Like, yeah, it's he knows what he's doing, though. He's putting a a nice cherry on top at the end of his career that if I can't get the fifth championship, he's already he's checked all these boxes that have got him in the discussion for greatest of all time. So titles with three franchises, you know, that puts him by himself. Uh, okay, again, if you can't get the fifth title, scoring title in a Lakers jersey, I still think that that's where it's going to happen. That's my anticipation. Um, you know, on the heels of winning a scoring title at 37, it is incredible stuff. I mean, yes, later in the context of this Lakers team, 
it doesn't matter at all right now. He and, he needed something to motivate him the rest of the season because his yeah. team was not motivated. Oh, he would be already done for the year. Yeah. He, he would be resting and waiting for the offseason if he didn't have these kind of carrots to chase, for sure. Kareem, 22 PPG as a 37-year-old, 23 at age 38. It's crazy. I'll just pull up Kareem's basketball reference. Just look at his points per game year after year after year. I mean, the amount of points he has in, he didn't start playing until he's 22. So, JD, yeah, the crazy. hopeless franchise uh, labeling stuck in my head when you said it. I think I've come to the conclusion that dysfunctional though the Lakers may be, and they are that, uh, you know, the vast majority of this league, I don't know what the number is, 26, 25, whatever. Do you have any idea how many franchises would love to be as hopeless as these Lakers are? Like, they won a title two years ago. That, that that's in admittedly I've done Lakers reporting recently where people on the inside get defensive and say things like, all right, we just won the title two years ago. We don't care if it was in a bubble that my favorite line from one of the principals was, you know, in a bubble, in a bathtub, in my backyard, it was a championship. And you know, that's something as I sit here podcasting from Sacramento that, uh, you know, the team like that would love to sniff. Um, so, you know, I do wonder, I mean, they don't have a lot of, uh, uh, desirable paths out of this for next season, which matters a lot because LeBron's clock, even with him playing well, is is certainly ticking. But you know the uh, the hopeless part, I think, is is probably not the case. It, it, uh, yeah, th- that that's that's. Fair. I just meant for this this individual season, right? The right, the right. hopeless part. Uh, and I do think as as we look forward, like LeBron, what LeBron wants out of the end of his career will will be interesting because he could look around LA and think you know there aren't really many moves this team could make to get him another title this deep into his career and he's already talked about maybe wanting to play with his son at one point so we know that's that's part of like his his future checklist yep but but how how much is LeBron going to want to add to that title count how 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 much will he be willing to make demands on the lakers if he doesn't think they can help him get that right. and and so I, I think he he's always been the guy who has taken like he he led all the players in taking ownership of your career using your power to get what you want from a situation or to a situation that you want. And now he's in a situation where, you know, I, I think a lot of reasonable people could, could want something different, whether it's the talent around him, whether sure. it's whatever else. So I, I do think his decision in all of this, whatever it is, uh, could be really interesting and, and could, could really define what the Lakers do, whether it's next season or beyond. The the um, my favorite way to frame his longevity though, at least wrapping up the initial uh, point, uh, is just looking at w- where a lot of the people in his draft class are today, like what they're doing. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know the top ones like Chris Bosh, Carmelo is obviously coming off the bench for them. Dwayne Wade retired, um, but even you go down the list, Nick Collison, Thunder front office was in that draft class. That's crazy. David West was in that draft class. Boris Diaw. Uh, Kendrick Perkins on TV, Leandro Barbosa on the Warriors coaching staff. Luke Walton was in that draft class. Luke Walton is like two head coaching jobs, you know, and and gone right now. Uh, and you, I mean, you can just keep going. You know, Steve Blake Zaza. Shout out Lou Williams, though. Lou will still. Keith, Keith Bogans got got banished from the first team I ever covered full time. James Jones is the <laughs> Suns GM. Cal Corver is a Nets coach. And yeah, he might lead the league in scoring. Well, his entire draft class is like deep into their like second and third careers. Yeah, Lou was the only guy. What's, what's Jason Capono doing though? That is a good question. <laughs> yeah, Lou Will, I believe, is the only only guy still going in the second round from that year. Yeah, Carmelo, um, I think, is the only other one from the first round. Right. And right, right. You know, in some so. some ways that has been his downfall as, you know, the general manager a little bit what I was talking about, which is like he has stuck to guys that are 
age. That's why around. he's so active as a GM these days, Slater, because he at this damn age you should be a GM. <laughs> that, that plus he, but his like belief that guys in his you know general friendship and age group uh, still have it when they don't. You know, people who were great at times of his career aren't as great anymore. I think that's been one of his big issues. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to let you out on that. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Jay, it, it came together super late and organically, but thank you very much, my guy, for jumping on. Uh, you you helped us check a box that we have not checked this season, really, when it comes to the Celtics talk, breaking things down. I highly recommend the piece that we talked about at length earlier for the listeners. Go read White House Suits, Steam Showers, and Six Years of Nonstop Intensity, Kevin Garnett's Celtics Days by the great Jay King and Jared Weiss. Thank you, brother. Good to see your face. Good to hear your voice. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. This is fun.